Before we start today's show, I want to invite you to join my community of SaaS founders, agency owners, and others who are sharing tips, tricks, strategies, and tactics for creating successful cold outreach campaigns. It's a free group on Facebook called Cold Outreach Mastery, and you can get there by heading over to morgandwilliams.com slash community. And if Facebook isn't your thing, but you still want valuable cold outreach advice, head on over to morgandwilliams.com slash newsletter and put in your best email to get first in line for valuable resources that I share on how you can fill your calendar with sales meetings and your pipeline with opportunities. Now, let's start today's show. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. This is the place where you'll find real conversations with real sales leaders about how you can leverage sales technology to get ahead of the pack. Improve your sales numbers by taking advantage of emerging technology before your competitors get there first. They'll share everything from the trends they're seeing in the marketplace to actionable strategies that you can use to make more sales today. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Morgan Williams. Welcome to the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Morgan Williams, and today I have the pleasure of interviewing Lloyd Yip, founder of LWY Consulting. If you're in the early stages of growing your B2B business, you might be asking these questions. How do I attract new clients and keep my calendar full without leaning so heavily on my network or other painful lead gen tactics? I'm not a natural born salesperson. How am I supposed to win clients and have them commit to me? Everything feels so manual in my business right now. How do I simplify my business so I'm not wasting so much time running around with my head cut off? My earnings are totally inconsistent. How can I make sure that my business is actually profitable and growing every month? How do I price my offering and create a product or service that people actually love and want to rave to their friends about? Lloyd helps B2B entrepreneurs solve these problems and more by helping them scale their high ticket offerings from less than 5,000 MRR, even pre-revenue, to $50,000 MRR and beyond in six to 12 months without needing funding or technical marketing skills. Lloyd, it's a pleasure to have you on the show. How are you doing today? Great, man. Great. I was on mute, actually, because I didn't want to <laughs> no interrupt problem. your amazing intro. No frankly, problem. you were going through that with your epic radio voice, and I was thinking to myself, if I was doing that, I would have at least stuttered three maybe four times <laughs> and obviously i was so captivated that i couldn't take off my mute so i mean hats off to you thank <laughs> you i appreciate it man yeah, appreciate yeah. it uh can you walk us through your background and how it's led yeah. to what you're doing now i know you've got a really interesting background and have done some really cool things so i definitely want to dig into that yeah so actually one of the things that you had just said in your intro was how to sell as someone who doesn't necessarily have the confidence in their own ability to sell mm -hmm. And I was that person when I was in university, when I was in high school, I always struggled communicating to people, my thoughts, my feelings. I oftentimes just kind of like secluded myself. And I even convinced myself when I was a kid that I was an introvert. When in reality, I was an extrovert the entire time. I just didn't know how to express myself. And even with that background, I was able to actually acquire the skills over time, which enabled my communication to become better. So if I'm Going all the way back to how I even got into the space in the first place, it was because in university, I ended up building like a window cleaning company, which is a little bit of a strange first job. Like think about the audacity of someone for their first job ever <laughs> to start like a company and hire other people. Right. I had never even at the time 
like had a boss. Mm -hmm. So what the hell do I know about managing people, leading a team? And the truth is I didn't know anything. And I would say the first two years of doing that, I was very much not being the boss that everyone hopes to have. I definitely pissed people off. I definitely didn't do the right things all the time by my employees. I feel like my professionalism with my clients could have been better, but that was like a massive, massive learning experience more so than any course that I've taken at school, more so than any job that I could have had at a grocery store or whatever 18 year olds normally do, because it forced me to a like manage a team and hire people and try to get them to do things that would be ultimately beneficial for my company. But more so I was like doing door to door every single day. I would be knocking on like 50 doors a day Love it. in the harsh Canadian winter. And I would get more no's in probably that summer alone. I got more no's than someone might hear in their entire life who normally like isn't in sales, yeah, right? Absolutely. And to do that, I think you grow a thick skin pretty fast. You learn how to become like way more resilient. You understand how to communicate your ideas much better. And then the leadership side, I had to learn by just being bad at it and realizing that I can't mm -hmm. continue being bad at it. So that made me just totally change my roadmap from initially, I thought I was just going to be like a physiotherapist. That was my initial plan. And I was in like kinesiology, which is sports science. And I actually switched my program right from there because I realized, you know what, that was fun. Building a business was fun. It was hard, but it was like kind of worth it. And a lot of those experiences were I think super profound as a then 18 turning 19 year old. So moving past that, like my first real job, if you want to call it a real job was working in enterprise technology sales as well. So I did the typical approach, right? Started as biz dev person, grinded, did really, really well there. Worked all those long hours, worked weekends because it's a grind of a job, but what better way to learn how to communicate your value to people who are way above you in the pecking order. Mm -hmm. if you're talking to VPs of marketing, CMOs, I was selling like MarTech to large, okay. large companies. Yeah. So you have to learn how to speak their language pretty fast. Sure. You have to learn how to sell to multiple stakeholders pretty fast. You got to learn how to navigate long deal cycles, lots of oh. random obstacles that pop up out of nowhere. Like we could have an hour long discussion just about how annoying it is to deal with legal and procurement. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I'm not going to, cause I don't want to bore the audience who doesn't care <laughs> about that. But like you see just so many different aspects that in enterprise sales just makes things harder. Mm -hmm. but what better place to learn as at that point, I would have been like 21 or so and spent a couple of years there, did really well, got promoted to an account executive pretty fast, did really well, then closing deals, moved companies again, wanted to work at like an earlier stage startup and be able to have a bit more of an impact. So actually partnered up with a couple alumni from my business school and I was the first employee to the co-founders there and we were just working out of a living room at the time and we scaled that from like next to nothing to two and a half million in sales within like 18 months or so so that was like pretty fast growth and i feel really proud to have been able to contribute as much as i did when it came to the sales and marketing strategy and the implementation the execution the growing of the team from four people to 40 people and after having done that for a couple of years and learning a ton from other founders who had been there and done that and exited and also working hand in hand with our clients because what we did at that software company, that startup that we grew was we would serve early stage entrepreneurs. And what we did for them was sales technology. We helped them build better, like top of a lead process. So I took from my first 
employer, the digital marketing side, I took from my second employer, the fact that I was a crucial part of the growth team and also working with clients who are struggling with their growth stage. And now all of that knowledge has kind of culminated in what I do now, which is early stage consulting for businesses, for founders who are struggling to get off the ground. Wow. There's so much in there that I love. I mean, operating a business, starting a business as your first job, I could not imagine doing that. How old were you when you did that? So I was 18. I think, Jeez. I think it was good that I was ignorant. Yeah. Because if I knew how hard it was going to be, I don't know if I would have done it. Right. Sure. But you enter this stuff with just like optimism and Energy. It's like, yeah, what's going to happen? What's possibly going to go wrong? And then I think a lot of things do go wrong, inevitably, but also things, a lot of things go right as long as you're willing to commit to the business. And yeah, I really credit that experience actually to the roadmap of my career because without it, I don't think I would have ever gone down my path now. For sure. And like, yeah. what's harder than that? And door to, anytime someone says they have door-to-door sales experience, like, I just love that. I think there's no better sales experience you can get than going door to door and physically knocking and selling. After that, it could probably be like telemarketing where you just, it's about the reps, those, those real life yeah. reps that you get in that real life feedback that you just can't, you can't get unless you're just in it, right? And there's, there's you can't get closer to being in it than door to door sales. Yeah you kind of touching like I'm the same way I, I started more like high volume, right? Obviously you were doing door to door then you were in biz dev and then you kind of moved up, up the chain and we're started working on bigger, bigger deals. I want to focus on what you did at that startup where you had helped it scale to two and a half million yeah. in 2.5 years. What were the big levers of growth there? Would you see, I'm sure there's, several, but what would you say really contributed to like seeing that kind of growth? Yeah, that's a good question. I think we were experimenting on a lot of different outbound channels, which was a necessity because as a company, what we did was we helped our clients build a stronger outbound muscle. Mm -hmm. So you better be drinking your own Kool-Aid if that's what you do. So we were constantly experimenting with new outbound processes. And I think what we tried to do was make sure that any strategy that we did, we were able to do at scale. Gotcha. So if we figured out email and we're like, okay, this particular way of doing email works. And we are always trying to think of like interesting and creative ways to do it at larger volume without necessarily needing to hire more people. Same thing with like LinkedIn. LinkedIn ended up at a certain point, I think driving 80% of our total inbound lead volume. Mm -hmm. And once we figured out how to do it manually, we're like, okay, now let's see if we can leverage automation and processes so that we can get more out and do more with less time and effort. So I think it was, it was the philosophy of being a very process driven organization and always trying to do more with less that led us to those conclusions. Whereas I think larger companies, they don't necessarily have the lean mentality because they don't need to have one. They can just hire a bunch of people to do more. We couldn't, uh, we couldn't have that mentality. And that kind of for, that forces you to be more creative and figure out more scrappy ways to get it done. Yeah. And it sounds like creativity plus high volume is equaling or equaled leverage for you guys, right? I feel like a lot of people skip to the automation piece and don't work on like the manual. Yeah. Let's yeah. actually make it connect A to B first. So they just try and hook a bunch of things together and hope it works. But going in manually, 
making sure it works, getting down a process, turning it into a system, and then how can we put gasoline on that fire? Sounds like what you did. Yeah, people shouldn't try to take shortcuts, especially if you're just trying to figure out the system from the beginning. It's well worth it to just do the upfront work, which is inherently a little bit slower, which allows you to then do things at a greater volume, but doing it the right way, right? Like, it's like, would you go to a gym and just crank out a thousand reps without the reps having good form? Like you crank out a thousand reps with bad form, you're going to just like hurt something. Mm -hmm. So do it slowly, do it the right way in the beginning. And once you can figure it out, once you can actually do it properly one time, then do more. So that's my perspective. I think on a lot of things. Did you have a, like a framework like for how you would test things and go about doing things? Or was it more of just like throw it to the wall, see what sticks and then like refine it from there? There is a framework. I mean, to begin with, you want to use just your educated assumptions of who your audiences are in order to get off the ground with initial experiments. Like it shouldn't just be, Oh, here's something that I read online. Let's just try it. Mm -hmm. It should be, okay, let's deeply think about our audience. Who do we serve? Who do we sell to? What problems are we solving for them? Okay. This audience, where do they spend time? If you're selling to musicians, you're probably not going to sell on LinkedIn. If you're selling to CTOs, you're probably not going to sell on Instagram. So running it through the framework of your audience first and foremost, and then when it comes to each channel that you're utilizing, whether it be email or LinkedIn or Instagram or whatever it may be, understand that you communicate differently on all those channels. Like there's a certain way, there's a certain etiquette that is there, which is different if you're an email versus LinkedIn, for example, like email, I think everyone knows is quite a transactional channel. People have been getting pitched on email for years. So if someone sends you a pitch over email, you're not going to really like seem confused that it happened, right. whether or not that converts, that just depends on the substance within the message. Right. But in and of itself, that type of approach is often well-received on email. Whereas on LinkedIn, if you just pitch people, like you'll yeah. actually just piss people off yeah. because LinkedIn is at its core still a social media platform. Right. So if it's a social media platform, how do you orient any of your outreach to still be in alignment with the way that everyone else uses LinkedIn? Meaning you got to be much shorter with anything that you're sending. You got to be much more relationship driven. You got to be adding value. You probably can't be asking or selling very much if at all until someone's literally saying, yeah, tell me more about what you do. And then at that time you've earned the right. So what I was saying earlier is think about your audience, think about where they spend their time, think about those channels that they spend their time. How do you actually make those channels work? And then by that point, your experiments or your, the things that you want to test out are already like 75% there. So only then do you start iterating and testing. A lot of people, I think they just throw stuff against the wall and they immediately start testing without having first done the upfront work, which is what I had just been mentioning to make the tests more likely to succeed. And then once you're running the tests, you want to run it so that you're doing it without risking too much at any given point. Do it in small batches. Don't throw like $5,000 into a particular test if you don't have that money. Run it for a small amount of time and really track the results. And when I say results, I don't mean just leads. Like leads in and of itself is a leading indicator, but I'm th- talking about tracking all the way to the real ROI that you're expecting. Is the real ROI sales? Is it demos? What is it? I think for most people, it's probably actually selling. So if a particular experiment generates you a ton of leads, but none of those leads actually convert into a sale, then you might have to think about 
Is it the channel that's messed up? Is it the messaging that's messed up? Is it the targeting that's messed up? But one way or another, the current iteration of that test is leading us to leads, but not actual ROI. Mm-hmm. And you compare that against say like another channel who's maybe generating less leads, but generating actual sales, you want to consider, okay, this is working to an extent. How do we up that level of lead volume? You're running it in small batches. You're never going to put too much risk into any particular test just in case it doesn't work out. And when you're measuring, you're not just measuring random stuff like leads or other vanity metrics. You're really thinking about what is actually mattering here. And when you have all that and you have the tracking and you understand, okay, this channel took this much money and took this much time and it came out with this many leads and this much actual sales volume. And this channel did like these numbers instead, then you can have a much better indication of, okay, which one worked and which one didn't. Gotcha. How long would you run a test for usually? It's less about the length of time. It's more about the volume of people that it touched. Gotcha. So if I'm doing like outbounds, I would probably need a couple hundred people in my test before I really feel comfortable with making a definitive statement one way or another. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. You have that down. <laughs> You've got that down. I love that, <laughs> man. That is great. So we're talking about testing. We're talking about um, channels. Like I want to know, you know, you're someone who's in the trenches every day. You're looking at people's businesses. You're doing your own prospecting. What are some trends in sales and marketing that technology or just in general online that you're seeing today that are working really well? I think personalization matters. The days of just mass messaging people are so gone. Yeah. And that manifests in the messaging and the copy that actually works. And it also manifests in the technologies that I think are being built these days. Like I can drop a few names. Sure. Technologies like Loom or Vidyard's GoVideo, which allow you to create personalized videos. Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. Like I have a buddy of mine who's releasing a new technology out there that actually allows you to personalize videos too, but at scale, Mm. which has always been the problem with things like Loom, because if you're trying to do that, you would have to record like a new video for every prospect. If you have hundred prospects, it's a lot of videos that you got to record. So now they're trying to see if you can scale that out, but Mm -hmm. still maintain the personalized feeling of that. And email has come to a place where I think in 2020, you really do have to personalize and you want to get good results personalizing maybe that's on video like I was just mentioning or maybe that's just taking the time to write great copy that's actually reflecting the audience and same with LinkedIn I think a lot of people just want to send out LinkedIn automated messages Mm -hmm. and can you do that certainly but is that going to generate you the optimum amount of meetings I don't think so I think to an extent if you want to make LinkedIn work you got to actually have a dialogue with people And you can't just copy and paste the entire dialogue. Can you have like certain things that you just copy and paste or plug in because it's the same thing every single conversation? Sure. But do you need to actually talk to people and ask genuine questions and be real with any recommendations or any of the things that you're saying over the DMs? You have to. And for me, like I use LinkedIn as such a significant part of my pipeline generation. And like, it's very rare that people will just like come up to me and say, yeah, let's talk immediately. Let's jump on a phone call. Usually I'm having a back and forth in a dialogue and I'm actually spending the time to talk to them before there's enough trust built that I can get them a meeting invite. So the technologies, the messaging that people are using, I think now it's better to be more genuine, being more one-to-one. Obviously, if you can build workflow that allows you to be more scaled out and you can do this at a higher volume, great, but you can never fully replace personalization with automation. If you're trying to 
get a really large volume out, like a couple people doing it personalized is always going to be better than one person automating everything. Away. So, yeah. Yeah. It's like people's are in a different mindset when they're on a different platform. Right. And LinkedIn, you can use it like a directory, right? Where you can find out information, navigator, things like that, which is great and very helpful. But when it comes to actually making contact with people, I feel like, yeah, people aren't having those conversations, those meaningful conversations in the inbox, right? There's, I feel like there's a lot of content or contents on the rise and there's a lot of inbox spamming on the rise. Yeah. But feel like that middle ground, you know, content's great, of course, but I feel like having those real conversations in the inbox are so powerful because people just don't get that every day. They just really don't. They're used to getting pitched. Um, yeah. If you come along and you're different and they see that, people want that. I mean, if you have something of value to offer for them and they want to know, like you're having a meaningful conversation with that, they will remember you, right? And um, 100%, 100%. And I always like say, don't... Uh, don't pitch unless you know that it'll be accepted. Mm. Like if you're pitching without feeling totally confident that they're going to say yes, you probably shouldn't be pitching yet. When I'm asking someone for a meeting at the point of asking for the meeting, I already know they're probably going to say yes because if I'm having a dialogue with them before I pitch, I'm going to get them to at least confess that there are problems. Right. right? That's what I'm trying to pull out of the dialogue. So if I ask like, Hey, how's business been in 2019? It's your first year in operations. Like has it been pretty fluid generating pipeline and finding clients or has it been a bit of a struggle? And someone says, yeah, hasn't been that easy to be honest, trying to figure it out. Like that is a confession that allows me to think, okay, there's probably a bit of runway here. I can mm -hmm. make that work. But like if people aren't giving me any indication that they're even experiencing the problems that I can solve right. to pitch to them is like a Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. now the old approach is throw a ton of Hail Marys and you're going to get something and you can still do that. But I think the conversion rate is just not very good. It's not. Oh, yeah, it's not. Since we're on LinkedIn uh, to provide context or just like um, to make it easier for the audience to grasp, what's your, like at a high level, your workflow on LinkedIn doesn't have to be the whole thing, but like getting from getting people from like, I've noticed for me, engaging with someone in conversation on a post that they've created and then mm -hmm. going into the DMS from there and then possibly getting something started from there works. But like, what's your kind of workflow for like getting someone to the point where like you've identified that they're more like low hanging fruit for lack of a better term, but like people who are, you see is like responsive or possibly hyper responsive. How do you get in front of those people on the platform? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I use a couple tools to help me in my LinkedIn workflow. Mm. The biggest tool is going to be Sales Navigator. So for anyone who sure. doesn't know what that is, it's just like LinkedIn pretty much, except it allows you to filter based off of people's work and job titles and company sizes and pretty much all the data that LinkedIn generally tracks, allowing That's you steroids to... steroids for LinkedIn. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. And this is pretty critical because you want to hone in on the folks that are likely to be a good fit for you without it. I find that it's quite hard to even know who's a good fit. Mm -hmm. So I begin using like a list building tool. And then from that point, I'm going to just like do my direct reach out. Now the key here is that you don't want to just be spammy. You never want to pitch immediately. In fact, you try to want to avoid pitching altogether. You just want to send those personalized connection requests 
leave an actual personalized note and give them a bit of an indication as to why you thought they were interesting and why you wanted to reach out and have a bit of like persistence in those conversations. Talk to them, ask a couple questions if they don't respond, continue feeding them, maybe even share content because you want to add value. And the couple things that you want to orient yourselves around is like appropriate volume. So every single day be doing this to at least like 50 people. Like I do it to 75, 80 people per day and also persistent follow-up. Like give yourself a bit of breathing room with email. You know that you could do six to eight touches to maximize the conversion rate with LinkedIn. You can probably do two or three additional touches beyond the connection request. So doing that. And if you follow along these patterns and also stay consistent for when they respond, you have that dialogue. I think the numbers are just going to work. Right. And if you want to supplement this with content as well, because I'm a big fan of content, sure. just be constantly sharing amazing content with your network content that's actually relevant to your audience content that you know will help your audience. And that way, even if you're reaching out to people organically and cold, they might not necessarily respond to you then, but maybe they'll just see your content in the newsfeed and they'll be like, Oh, isn't that that guy that messaged me? Like, who is he again? I'll check yeah. it out. Or on the flip side, maybe someone you weren't messaging sees your content and they decide to look at your profile and they reach out to you. So having like a multifaceted LinkedIn approach is pretty good. Um, direct outreach is going to be easier for anyone who's just starting out. Of course, you can just input equals output, mm -hmm. but in the long term, content's always going to be a good thing. And I have a ton of friends and myself included, like my content on social media is a big driver of our total pipeline. Awesome. The LinkedIn inbox can get messy at times. Um, do you use anything or what do you use to kind of keep track of it when you're doing these follow-ups and stuff like that? I actually have a separate tool which allows me to do my messaging out of nice. to keep me a bit more organized. But even inside LinkedIn, if you want to just stay with LinkedIn, you can filter by like red, unread, stuff like that. And you can just like go to unread and then all of your, you know, to do's will be there. Nice. Right. That's something you can do. Yeah. So at a high level, it's hand to hand combat, being genuine, being human. Right. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's, tough for people to do sometimes be human you know <laughs> yeah like there's there's this massive tendency that we have to just want to sell that like we just sure. so much want to talk about ourselves it's just like so not the right way to do it though <laughs> yeah. but that is the temptation that you have to avoid and, and resist because people don't care about you unfortunately people don't care about your product you do because you built it you do because you created your offering obviously you think it's the best thing in the world, but like no one else does. No one right. else even knows what it is. So if you want them to give you a legitimate shot to, to tell them more about what you've built, then give them a legitimate shot to tell you about their problems. And that way you can frame your offering so that it's actually valuable to them. If you approach someone who doesn't know you and you just say, Hey, here's this thing that can do X, Y, and Z for you. They're not going to pay attention. If you ask them, like, what are your challenges? Like, are you experiencing this specific problem? And they say, yes. And then you say, Hey, like, by the way, I actually created this thing that can help you overcome that problem that you were just talking about. Would it be valuable if I shared, shared how you can do that? Like that's so much more interesting to people because now you're tailoring your actual ask for a sales call to a specific problem rather than just like pitching a sales call. Awesome. So like, I think 
I don't know if I'm even allowed to say this on a podcast, but don't bust your load too early. <laughs> <laughs> don't ask right away. Just yeah. you know, keep it chill and talk, talk a little bit first. Get to know For them. Sure. Take them sure. on a date first. Absolutely. So. Do you ever do that ask? I mean, you wait till follow up through the ask. Do you usually ask after you had you know, on the first conversation, but longer, like if after you've had a longer conversation, do you just kind of gauge where they're at? Like, Hey, this person's really interested. I can ask earlier than I would if they were kind of like more laid back or how do you gauge the right time to ask? Here's a gut check. Do you know that they have a problem you can solve? If you don't know that, then you shouldn't ask it. It's really that simple. So when you're having a conversation, maybe you've had a little bit of a back and forth, but ask yourself out of all the stuff that they've told me, have I now confirmed that there is in fact a problem that they're experiencing, which is urgent and annoying to them that I know that I can solve. If, if the answer is no, that just means you don't know enough about their situation yet and you probably shouldn't pitch. That's if a you pitch, like, like I said, that's still, that's a Hail Mary at that point. If you pitch at that point, Hail Mary, but let's say you extract from them. They actually verbally confess that. Yeah. Like this thing kind of sucks and I've been trying to like fix it for the last year. Not really sure how to do it. It's not really going as I would like. It's not like they're necessarily inviting you to come and fix it, but if they say something like that, then you can just chime in and say, Hey, by the way, like, I know this is a kind of a coincidence. You can even make it sound like a coincidence, even though you've strategically tried to pull that from them, sure. that you actually created that situation. But to them, it just feels like a coincidence because the conversation has been super chill at that point. It's been super organic. You can just say, yeah, like, by the way, I actually help people exactly in your position to overcome X to get to Y by doing this. If I showed you how you can actually do that yourself on a sales call, don't even call it a sales call. Actually just say, Hey, if I can show you how you can accomplish that yourself, would that be worth having a conversation about? At that stage, you're even able to position the sales call in and of itself, not even as a sales call. You're just saying like it's more an education call or a strategy call, a call where I can just give you a couple ideas so that you can overcome the problem that you already said you had, right? Like I try to never frame a sales call to sound like a sales call. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Like sometimes I'll actually ask people, hey, like here's what I think I could share with you over a quick phone call if you'd like, would that be valuable? And they'll say, okay, how much do you want to, how much are you charging? Which is crazy because what I'm saying is, do you want me to jump on a sales call with you? And, he, and they're saying, how much are you going to charge for me to jump on your sales call? Mm -hmm. When you're positioning your sales call in and of itself to be valuable, because you're saying, hey, in this call, I'm going to be teaching you X, Y, and Z. Then they're going to be like a trillion times more excited to jump on the phone call with you. They're going to be way less likely to ghost, right? And they're going to be so primed, I think, to want to talk to you more. Absolutely. Because it's not, usually people get on sales calls and it's like, okay, so you just want me to tell you how to sell to me for 30 minutes or an hour, right? I'm giving you this information. Yeah, discovery is painful for people. Yeah. People don't want to be discovered. Right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. People don't want to be discovered. That it's is like very surgical. true. Yeah. For sure. I love this. You're, you know, it seems to me like technology is really not at the core of what you do. Like you use it as leverage, you use it to assist you, you use it to scale, but it's really about the fundamentals of your communication with people. You know, well, first understanding your market, understanding how they communicate, you know, the nuances of the platform, 
right? Yeah. It seems like you would be doing the same thing if you were in person, right? I mean, let's put it this way. You are running a cupcake factory. I don't know why I'm using cupcakes. It is what it is. That's good. It's just the analogy I'm going for. <laughs> but you have this like amazing cupcake factory with all the machines you would ever need to be churning on a thousand cupcakes per minute. It's a lot of cupcakes. Mm -hmm. But if the raw ingredients that you're putting in are bad, like you're choosing the wrong flour, you're choosing the wrong sugar, your recipe is just like taken from a homeless person. No offense to <laughs> people in that situation. Now, I'm sure there's like so many homeless people that are way better at baking than I am. I'm, I'm terrible. But you get out what you put in. Sure. And even with all this automation out there, if your actual raw ingredients and your recipe is, is bad, then you're just going to be producing crap at scale. Like the technology is not inherently what's going to cause you to have a great result or a bad result. All it does is it amplifies whatever the result would have been at a smaller scale. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing things manually and you're getting a great result, then technology can help you amplify it so that you're getting those results at a larger volume. If what you're doing manually sucks, you put that stuff manually into a larger system. It's just going to crank out crap at volume. So that's once again, why we go back to our initial point of testing things manually before you automate it. And the reason why is because if you automate things immediately, you're probably just going to be cranking out crap at volume. So you're right. Like the way that I sell in person, the way that I sell over the phone, the way that I talk and prospect is for the most part the same because it comes from the fundamentals of trying to add as much value as I can, trying to educate as much as I can, always be helping, not always be closing and learning as much about the client's perspective as well. So that anything that I'm providing to them is tailored to their unique situation and needs and pain points. Whether that be prospecting or sales calls or actually working with them hand in hand. And the technology obviously amplifies that. So sure. I love technology, don't get me wrong, but in the wrong hands, like it's not gonna actually bear any fruit. Yeah, think. so easy to just press that button and just send out hundreds of messages or thousands, however many, you know? But um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I know you're working on a new program that you're going to be releasing soon or, or you have a finished program going to be releasing soon. Can you tell us some more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I have like a flagship program that I'm working on with my current clients and it's more of a one-on-one -on -one advisory service where mm -hmm. I walk them through exactly how to do everything that I just mentioned in this call, whether it be how to make LinkedIn work, how to make email work, how to make Facebook work organically, how to sell, right? Like I'm very passionate about helping people become better closers and more confident communicators on the phone or in person. So all that stuff is included, getting to product market fit, even leveraging things like paid acquisition, building content, creating great funnels on your website, hiring salespeople if you're getting to a point that you have so many sales calls. So it's like a very holistic overarching program where I'm almost like a fractional VP of marketing or a VP of growth, if you want to call it that. That being said, I do have a lot of clients who are just in the beginning of building their businesses and they have like very little budget. All they really should be doing is outbound because frankly, when you're just starting out your business, you don't have the money to do paid ads. You don't have the reputation to do partnerships. You don't have the time to wait for SEO to work. You don't even understand what content would be good content for your audience base because you don't have any clients yet. So really what you should be just doing in your early days, getting your first three to five clients, getting to maybe 5K MRR, is doing outbound really so i actually have a new program that's coming out very very soon that is specifically to help founders leverage certain tactics to make outbound a really really powerful muscle for them 
so that you can generate somewhere between like 10 to 20 great conversations with highly qualified prospects every single week, get you to a place that you're converting at least like 30% of those deals into or opportunities into one deals. And it's going to have the prospecting side. It's going to have the closing side and it's going to really focus on the strategy and the execution that you need to have when it comes to those early stage things. And obviously if that goes really well and you get to your 10 K 15 K MR, then I would love to have as a one-on-one client where we can do all the other stuff. But uh, yeah, I wanted to build this new thing just because I realized a lot of people shouldn't be focusing on the other stuff yet. They shouldn't be doing paid. They shouldn't be doing content like to a huge extent. They should be focusing on outbound. I love that because there's so much stuff you can do online, right? There's a lot of people telling you do this, do that, do this, do that. And you can definitely spin your wheels. I think one of the things too is like looking at what a company is like, oh, I want to be as big as that company or, oh, you know, I want to be where that company's at and looking at what they're doing now versus what they're doing or what they did in the beginning. And if you look at any of these companies in the beginning, like B2B companies, it was all hand-to-hand combat, outbound, one-to-one, and then they kind of went from there. So yeah, like everyone in the business world knows about the 80-20 rule. Yep. Where there are just like, certain activities that just provide more value for you than others. We're not saying that as a new entrepreneur, SEO can't be beneficial. We're not saying that content can't be super awesome. We're not saying that you can't get traction on the paid, but like if you had to do just one or two things, what's going to have a bigger impact. I think outbound, just given the fact that it's like super low cost and like pretty easy, not really any barriers to entry. You can just like start doing it immediately get traction. It just makes more sense in the beginning. So it's not just a matter of hearing a bunch of podcasts and hearing influencers on the web saying, yeah, do this, do that, do seven other things. Like don't try to do seven things at the same time badly. Just do one or two things well and pick Mm -hmm. the one thing that you know can actually add a ton of value right now. And I think in the beginning it is pretty much outbound, especially if you're selling high ticket. If you're selling t-shirts and whatnot, there might actually be a different thing that works better for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think for high ticket B2B, especially it's so worth it to just do outbound. Yeah. Having those conversations. I love it. Yeah. Very good. Lloyd, it's been great hearing your framework, hearing your methodical approach to outbound, to testing, to getting new customers, to generating sales conversations. How can people get in touch with you if they're interested in your program, interested in working with you one-to-one, or just want to ask you some questions about kind of things you went over today? Yeah, they can always reach me on my website, lwiconsulting.com. LinkedIn is big for me. So just Lloyd Yip, you can just put that into the LinkedIn search bar. I don't think there's anyone else with my name. It's a pretty weird name. (laughs) So that's double L-O-I-D space YIP. And you can probably find me. I also have a Facebook group that I run and it's a big community of other entrepreneurs who are in the B2B space selling high ticket. That can be in SaaS. That can be in services. You can be running an agency. It doesn't really matter. The more the merrier. And I think when it comes to the program, I'm releasing that new program pretty soon. So if anyone reaches out to you directly, Morgan, like, I don't know if you provide them contact information, you can always connect them with me and I can give them a discount just because it's coming through you. I don't have like a fancy affiliate thing set up because this thing is literally not built yet. (laughs) But if anyone comes through you, I will give them a sweet discount. And anyone else who wants to work with me one-on-one, you can just pretty much um, 
schedule a strategy session with me on the website and also check out a bunch of free content that's also on my website so like i said i believe in adding value and if i can't add value to someone over a call i would like to add value to them just by the webinars that i create the blog posts that i release the facebook that i'm uh, admitting right now so lots of my content there that you can check more of awesome i love it man lloyd thanks so much for joining me today i really do appreciate it yeah likewise likewise i'm uh glad that we managed to you know connect today and it was pretty fun to talk shop with you absolutely man you take it easy cool cheers Thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Sales Tech Podcast. If you love what you heard, be sure to head back to morgandwilliams.com and go over to the podcast page for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on the next value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and make sure to take action.